you have your Bibles, turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look in verse 10 today. Um, I hope everyone had a blessed Christmas and you feel blessed as you're starting off this new year. Um, someone once said, Life is a place of service. In that service, one has to suffer a great deal that is hard to bear. But more often to experience a great deal of joy. But that joy can be real only if people look upon their lives as a service and have a definite object of in life outside themselves and their own personal happiness. What the writer is saying here is that our life should be filled with service. And, and because our lives are filled with service, it's going to be uncomfortable. You've heard me say from time to time that if we're doing ministry, we're going to be uncomfortable. And if we find ourselves not uncomfortable, then we're not doing ministry. Because serving others, we, it can be uncomfortable. <laughs> but even though it can be uncomfortable, it can bring about a great joy to us. Some will wonder, well, how can you be joyous serving others? Well, when our mind is on others and not ourselves, <laughs> then we can f experience the joy that's intended for us to feel when we do serve others. There's got to be something greater than ourselves that we're looking to please. If all we want is to accomplish our own agenda, then we're not going to experience the joy that the Lord has for us as often as he would have us to experience it. But it's when we take our minds off ourselves and we focus on serving others, where God is glorified in all that we do, then we will find that there's joy in serving Last September, we started meeting, the church council and myself, and as we started meeting, we were talking about the direction that we were in at the time. We know the theme for last year was, oh, I'm glad somebody knew it. We preached through this for a whole year, almost, for nine months at least. And we, we and, and talking about, in his steps, we were focusing on walking or living our lives in a manner in which he has led us, which he has instructed, which he had showed us through scripture. And in thinking about that, living our lives out in his steps, we started looking toward 2023. And as we were looking forward into 2023, we wanted to build a little bit on what we had focused on in 2022 so we found we looked in this verse and found that this verse it really focuses on service and we know that Jesus life was filled with service and if his life is filled with service and he is our great example he is our leader then our lives should be filled with service and he teaches us throughout scripture, we find 
how our lives can be about service. And this verse right here in in 1 Peter 4.10, now on these banners, now you see we're, we're intentional on you guys uh, remembering this. You're going to see this banner every time you come into this church. It don't matter if you come in from that way or if you come in from that way, you're going to see these banners. It doesn't matter if you don't come into the sanctuary. If you want to go upstairs, you got to come downstairs. And if you come downstairs, you're going to see this. And if you're not careful, we're going to put them upstairs too. We want you to understand that this year, 2023, we need to be focusing our lives as being in his service. If our lives are in his service, then he controls our lives. And if he controls our lives, he'll control this church. And if he'll control this church, then this church will become what he wants it to be. And if the church becomes what he wants it to be, it'd be greater than what you and I can imagine. Because any vision that you and I have is too small for the great God that we have. So there, there's, some, there's something, because we're going to focus on in his service, there's something I want us to understand from this point forward. What we've always done may not be what we always do. So just because we've never done it doesn't mean we can't do it. So those phrases have to stay out of our vocabulary to say that, well, we've never done that, so what? If we're going to do ministry, we've got to take risks. Those who are in leadership, if you're going to be leaders, you've got to take risks. Whether it's in the church or whether it's on your job, whether it's in your home, we've got to take risks. And we can't be afraid to take risks. If we do, we'll find in the coming weeks that God's, going to be, God's not going to be pleased with that. If you have your Bibles, look with us as we focus today on in his service. Let's look in 1 Peter 4 and 10. The Bible tells us, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, this is in the King, New King James Version. Here, what we read on, on these um, banners is in the NIV, which states... Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. So when you look in that word manifold, by the manifold grace of God, is by the various forms of grace that God has bestowed upon us. We are to use his gifts that he's given us, and we are to be good stewards as we use them to minister to others. Pray with us, would you? God, as we come before you today, we honor you this day in giving us a brand new day. While so many are seeing January 1st as a day that they can just start over, God, we just thank you that we serve a God, a God of new beginnings. For God, it doesn't matter what day of the year you save us, we have a brand new life. It doesn't matter what time of, a, uh, of the day that you save us, we have a brand new outlook upon life. Thank God, it doesn't matter when we call upon you, you'll come to us and give us a, a new beginning. So God, we just thank you for being a God of beginnings. 
And so, God, we pray right now that you would be with us not only today but throughout this year. I I don't know exactly what you have in store for 2023 at Reedy Branch Baptist Church, but, God, I believe you have something great for us. God, if I'm not here to see it happen, God, I know that you're faithful and you're still going to move and you're going to minister. So, God, we pray that you would just touch and you would bless and that you would speak to our hearts in a mighty and powerful way. That, God, that when we look to you, that we can see that that you are calling us to use whatever it is that you have given us and equipped us with to perform your will in this world that we're living in. Now, bless God. Bless in a mighty way. And God, we pray that as we go through the remainder of this service, that you would speak to our hearts, but also to the hearts of those who may not know you through your son, Jesus Christ. God, allow your Holy Spirit to sit with them and commune with them and share with them how much you love them and that you will receive them if they'll call upon the name of the Lord. And God, we'll give you praise and we'll give you glory for all that's accomplished. For God, you are worthy. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. When we look in First Peter, in this epistle, <clears throat> what we find is it's, it was written to dispersed believers. Believers who were dispersed throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Bithynia. The dispersion of these believers came about due to a fear of persecution. Serving Christ... For these first century believers, it came at great risk to all of these believers. The the risk of living different, holy, separate lives brought about suffering for those who refused to engage in lewdness, refused to engage in lust for activities or drunkenness or revelry or even idolatry. You see, these Christians in the first century were very easy to spot. They didn't just, they didn't look like the rest of the world. They looked awfully different, not by their appearance only, but by their actions and the things that they did or did not do. The very things that they refused to engage with is why they were persecuted. Their commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior was true, They lived their lives serving Christ by serving others. When the world wanted to cast people aside because of sickness or disease, it was the church, the believers who went to those people to help them at the risk of their own lives and at the risk of it becoming known that they were believers in Christ and facing persecution. By doing this, they were given opportunity to share the gospel. So Peter, here he encourages believers throughout this letter to continue to live for Christ. Throughout this letter, in this generation of unbelief that was going on in the time of writing this, he is continuing to encourage the believers to live serving Christ. He is sharing with them to continue in his service. In this sinful world. Well, what we know is that we haven't gotten too far away from this day. As a matter of fact, when we, we 
are still living in a sinful world. And while there are parts of the world where professing Jesus Christ as Savior comes at the risk of dying, many of us in this place may never face that, that um, persecution. But there are persecutions or types of perse- persecution that we will face, such as ridicule and slander and alienation. Many of you who watch TV have seen over the last several weeks how Candace Cameron Burr has been slammed throughout the media. All because she chose to leave Hallmark's network, who is determined that in, beginning in 2023, they're going to show more shows that have same-sex couples um, highlighted in, the, in their shows, in their movies. So she decides to go to a network that is more faith-based, more aligned with her faith, and she has been ripped apart. Almost every time you turn on the news or you pull up, uh, you pull up the internet to a news uh, link, you find that there's something said in a negative or de- derogatory way about her. Here, what we find is If we just look throughout life, performers will slam Christian principles, calling us bigots and saying that we're not inclusive. Also, most politicians will accuse us of being outdated and out of touch with reality. However, we must remember that sinners are sinners, and they're going to act like sinners. However, Christians... We are not to act as sinners. We are expected to act as Christians. We are to live out our lives in his service, not regardless of how sinners in the world treat us, regardless of how they attempt to persecute us. We are to be the light in this world that the world is actually looking for. And when we continue to be the light and we are determined and committed to being that light, then the world will understand sooner or later that we were right and on the right side of this and that they were wrong. Some will convert and they will trust Jesus as Savior. But others will be determined to live their lives and to live eternity in a demon's hell. Folks, (laughs) we as born-again believers, we are to live our lives in light of the gospel. We are to live our lives serving Christ. We are to live our lives in his service. So now the question becomes, how do we live our lives in his service? Well, the apostle Paul, he tells us to stir up the gift of God, which is within us. And it seems that the apostle Peter here is echoing Paul's statements as he is reminding us in today's passage that we've received a gift. Now we have to get this out of this verse. The Bible says as each one has received a gift. In other words, this gift has been given to us. If we are born again believers, we have received the gift. It wasn't something we acquired. It was something that was given to us. The word gift here is the same word used for the word charisma. In other words, what it is, it's a special ability given to believers by God. 
So in various form, these various gifts given by God are given to those of us who have believed in our heart and who have confessed with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. These spiritual, these are spiritual gifts in that on our own we could not receive these gifts. Instead, these gifts were given by the Spirit of God for spiritual purposes. These are gifts given to believers so that we can fulfill the task that God has for us while we're here on earth. You know, the Bible teaches us or it calls, uh, calls the church the body of Christ. Well, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, the apostle Paul gives us an illustration that shares this same sentiment that if the church as a whole, I'm not talking about the local church, but every born again believer across the world, when we are come together, we are forming the church and we are forming the body of Christ. But we all individually are different. Aren't you glad of that? I'm so glad there's not another Hilton Woodell running around here. If you don't believe I'm glad about it, you ought to ask my wife or ask my daughter. They'll tell you they're glad there's not another one around here also. If you ask enough in this church, somebody will tell you they're glad there's not another Hilton Woodell. Because we are all individually different. There's, there's no two people just alike. Taylor looks just like her mama, but she isn't just like her mama. She does have some ways like me that, that makes her a blend, makes her unique, makes her different. I grew up in a house with a brother and a sister, a mother and father. There were two of us that were exactly alike. My brother, myself, and my sister, we don't even look close to looking alike. There are people who've worked with her and who know me that couldn't believe that we were brothers and sisters because we are just that different. There's no two people alike. So that means the body of Christ is filled with individuals. But it's when we come together, we form one body. You know, the illustration Paul gives in Corinthians is that of the body itself. You know, the body has all these different members. You know, if you look at every one of your fingers, you'll find something different about each one, whether it's the length of them, the width of them, the, the design of them, or the, or the prints of them. You're going to find something different. You look at your toes, you got 10 of them, and every one looks different. You got two feet, they, but one's bigger than the other. You got two ears, they're not the same size. There's something about this. We're all, there's individual parts. We belong to one body. Therefore, we're all individual parts of that one body, but we're to work together. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing, though. When we use our body, oftentimes, we're going to use it for our purpose. But as the body of Christ, when we become part of his body, we lose that privilege. That we are no longer to function individually. We're to function jointly. So we should all, as born-again believers, be going in the same direction. Wouldn't it be odd if my feet's going that way and my head's going this way? It'd be a monster. And so the body of Christ has to be going in the same direction. We can't choose what we're given that makes up, that places us in the body. As a matter of fact, it's given to us. So, in other words, I don't get to choose my gift. God chooses it for me. I'm glad he does. 
Because if I could have chose any gift for myself, it would have been the gift to sing. Or it would have been the gift to play music. But I know me. I don't want it to sing. And I don't want it to play for myself. I know me. I'm honest enough with me that I don't want it glory. Even if I'd done it in the church, I don't want it to spotlight on me. God knew this about me. So God fixed it to where I had to depend upon him. Aren't you glad he does that to us sometime? We can get frustrated and we can wish because we see what other people are doing and we wonder, man, wouldn't it be great to do that? But I don't know what 40 years of work that Brother Jerry has put in or 44 years of work that he's put in to be able to play the piano the way he plays it. Brother Ronald's been singing for 70 years. He come out of the womb singing, I'm pretty sure. And so I don't know the work he's had to put in to craft that skill but God put it in him and whatever gift he's put in you he's put it in you for a purpose and that purpose is for his glory for anyone here's the thing for anyone to say that he does not have the gift a gift from God it's saying one of two things one he is saying that God's a liar And we know God's not a liar. If the one thing God cannot do is lie. God cannot go against his word. The Bible tells us that the heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of God will stand forever. He is true. Jesus says, I am the way, the the truth, and the life. His very name is truth. He cannot lie. So we know that's not the case. But the other thing people are saying is, well, what they don't realize, if they don't have a spiritual gift, they don't have a gift from God, then they're saying they're not saved. And these gifts are for those who are saved. So if you think that you are a born-again believer, but you have no gift, then you've been deceived. And if you think, you, you, either wise, you haven't been saved, or somebody's feeding you something you shouldn't believe. And you need to talk with Jesus because he's given everyone a gift. Here, he tells us this in verse 10, as each one has received a gift. So every born-again believer has received a gift. 1 Corinthians 7 and 7, Paul says, I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One in, his, in this manner and another in that. So we know that each one has, who has been saved, each one whose name's been written in the Lamb's book of life has been supplied with a spiritual gift. So folks, what we need to remember from this text is that we've all received a gift. But we need to also notice in this verse that we all have a responsibility to this gift. Spiritual gifts are not given just to be given. Instead, Peter tells us that the gift that we have has been given for us uh, to be used and to be used by ministering to one another. Every believer is responsible to use his or her gift to build up believers in the church. We're responsible to use our gift to be a witness of Jesus Christ in this dark world. We are responsible to minister to the needs of the world. Whew. 
You know, if I would have said it this way, I'd have got a lot of amens. If I'd have said it this way, that every believer is responsible to, to build up those that they like, those that they are close to with their spiritual gift, I'd have got amen shouting everywhere. If I'd have said we are responsible to use our gifts to be a witness to other Christians, then people would have shouted everywhere. If I'd have said that, that we're responsible to use our gifts to those who are in need that's, that's in my family, then yeah, we'd have shouted everywhere. But, but that's not the responsibility that we have. We have a responsibility to build each other up. If when we tear each other down, we're going against the will of God. We have a responsibility to lift each other and make each other better. We have a responsibility to be a witness in this dark world. You know, it is great to hear, and I love hearing testimonies. I love to hear people declare what God has done for them. But my question is, am I the only one that's hearing it? Or is someone who is lost hearing that on the street? Are we telling that in the grocery store? Are we telling that at the bank? Are we telling that in a fast food line? Are we telling that on the street? Because when we tell it to people who don't know Jesus, it gives them hope. Yes. <laughs> We are responsible to minister to the needs of the world, not just our community. You know, people will, will criticize any mission-minded church because they're going to say, well, there's so much going on around us. Why are you going somewhere else to do mission work? Because he's not called us just to ourselves. He's called us not only to, to minister locally, and we should. We, shouldn't, we should do mission work locally, but we should also do it nationally. And we should do it globally as well. It's to the world. So therefore, our responsibility is that we are to become good stewards of these gifts. If we're to minister to one another, then we're going to be held accountable. If we're going to minister to others, we're going to be held accountable. If we're going to minister to the world, we will be held accountable. So we're to be good stewards of what God has given us. As a steward, a steward is a slave who was given the responsibility of a master's estate, both his home and his property. He was put in charge of the affairs of his master. Can you believe that? That's exactly what a steward was. Joseph in scripture is a great example of that. We find that Joseph was a, a good steward. After Joseph was thrown or was sold off into slavery by, by his brothers, he still continued to use his God-given gift, even in prison. And because he used it in prison, Someone noticed him, or as a slave. Let me put it that way. He used it as a slave. And because he did, in Genesis 39 and 4, it says that Joseph found favor in his sight, meaning the Egyptian or Potiphar's sight, and he served him. Then he, Potiphar, made him Joseph overseer of his house, and all that he had put, all that he had, he put under Joseph's authority. Now, we know how that ended. We know that it ended with Potiphar's wife making a false accusation of Joseph trying to rape her, resulting in Joseph being put into prison. We, we all, we've got that memo, right? But while in prison, Joseph could have done what many would have done and just pouted. Woe is me. You know, I, I don't deserve to be here. I've been faithful to you, Lord, but, but, but look where I'm at. Instead, 
he, again, Joseph used every opportunity while in prison to use the gift that God had given him. Joseph was able to interpret dreams. And because of this, he was brought before Pharaoh. And he interpreted one of Pharaoh's dreams that changed the landscape of life for Israel. He found favor in Pharaoh's sight. And Pharaoh made him steward over all that he had. Here a slave, because he used the gift of God, he's now made steward over all of Egypt. Genesis 41, 40 through 41 says, you shall be over my house. This is Pharaoh speaking to Joseph. And all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. (laughs) And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. (laughs) Over his house his people, and his land. Because Joseph used the God-given gift to be a blessing to others, and God was glorified in it. While a slave in Potiphar's house, the Bible says in Genesis 39 and 3, that the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper. Even this Egyptian had to acknowledge the God of Joseph. But not only that, in Genesis 41, 38, and 39, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God. When, jo- when Pharaoh said, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there was no one as discerning and wise as you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Joseph used his spiritual gift and God was glorified in it. Likewise, each born-again believer is a steward of God. Each one of us has, is in full charge of the grace and the gift which God has given us. In, in, in other words, no one else can look after or use the gift that you've been given. If your gift is to be used, you must use it. If my gift is to be used, then I must use it. This places a huge responsibility upon us because if we fail to exercise our God-given gifts that we've been given by God, (laughs) then we become poor stewards of the gift that's given to us. And we will stand before the Lord at the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. While we will be rewarded, we will give an account because there are going to be rewards that we do not receive because of the things we've done we shouldn't have done and the things we failed to do that we should have done. So, folks, we have a responsibility to live out our lives in his service. And we can do this by using the gifts that he's given us. In verse 11, Peter categorizes all the gifts in two areas. One is the area of speaking gifts. These are gifts such as preaching, teaching, exhortation, evangelizing, those type of gifts. 
Peter shares that if we speak, then we are to speak the oracles of God when sharing these gifts. In other words, my opinion really doesn't matter. What I think, it has no bearing. Everything that we say should be weighed against the very word of God. And if I weigh my words and my thoughts upon God's word, I'm going to find that mine fall awfully short. And if I'm going to counsel, if I'm going to preach, if I'm going to teach, I need to teach God's word and not my thoughts or my opinions. But he also puts them in a second category. And, it's, and he puts every other gift in the, in the one category, and that is that of ministry. So whatever it is that God is calling us to do, we are to, be, we are to live out our lives in his service. This would include gifts like hospitality. You know that's serving when you're hospital to people who come into your home or you meet people on the, on the parking lot here at this church or in a foyer or someone walks in and, and they happen to get by our greeters and, and you see them and you don't know them, you speaking to them, going out of your way and making sure they're comfortable. Me doing this, it's a gift of hospitality. Now, everybody doesn't have that gift. Somebody should have said Amen. You know if you have that or not. You know if you, you know the, the, what people see when they look at you because you look in the mirror. I know what people see when they look at me because <laughs> we look in the mirrors. Some of us don't have the disposition for hospitality, but that doesn't mean we can't work at it. Visiting is a spiritual gift. Mercy is a spiritual gift. Giving is a spiritual gift because there are many of us who will give and we'll give out of obligation or we'll give because and we'll give the 10% and we won't give no more but then there are others that give to where it hurts. They give to where they just got no more period to give. That's a spiritual gift but we all should be working toward that. just the gift of ministering to people you know there are people who walk I, I marvel at this I, I go to places and I, I go around people and I, and I see preachers and they, they walk in and said the whole atmosphere changes there's a calmness that comes there's a peace that comes there's this feeling that you know everything's going to be okay the preacher can't make it okay. But I've, I've, I've walked into some places with some preachers and, and I've stepped back and I've saw this take place and I'm thinking, man, God has truly gifted this person. And for that family in that moment, if that preacher hadn't showed up, oh, the chaos that they'd have kept feeling. That calmness they may have never felt. Folks, you know, the truth is when we minister to others, we can't minister in our own strength. It's not ministry. That's just doing stuff. Ministry is when we're allowing God's ability and God's giftedness to work in us and work through us. This means that as we minister, acknowledging, we acknowledge his strength and his ability. And anything that we do, it all comes from him. 
So if that's the case, what that means is I have no excuse. And neither do you. We have no excuse if we're trusting God to do it. If, if it's God that's got to strengthen us, then he'll do it. Isn't he faithful? If it's God that's got to give us the words, he'll do it. Isn't he faithful? If it's God that's got to, to bring light in a dark room, isn't he faithful? He'll do it. All we've got to do is be a willing vessel and to use whatever he gives us. So we can't say, I can't do that. Because when we say, I can't do that, as a born-again believer, we're saying, God can't do it. If he lives within us, that's what we're saying. And folks, God, there's nothing God can't do but fail. God can't fail, and God can't go against his word. He said he'd be with us even to the end of the age. If he says he'll never leave us or forsake us, then that would tell me that wherever I'm at, he's going to be right there with me. So I can't use the excuse, I can't do that. You wouldn't have you, you couldn't believe how often I've reached to pull the door handle at a hospital room and stop. Just to say, God, I can't walk in here without you. And he's been faithful. Pull up at someone's home who's grieving. God, I can't be here without you. He's faithful. I can't put together a message from his word. I don't have it in me on my own but he's faithful so we should always exercise our gifts because he's faithful whatever it may be we are to exercise them for his glory God will bless us he will use us to bless others therefore we will be a blessing and others will glorify God Matthew 5 and 16 says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Oh, (laughs) if we want God to be glorified in our lives, then we must be obedient. We must use the gifts that he has given us. And if we desire 2023 to be a great year, a year filled with the blessings of God, a year filled with ministry pouring out of this church, a year of growth, a year of growth in personally, growth spiritually and growth physically, then we must commit to living our lives in his service. We must commit to this. John MacArthur once said, godly, biblical, A godly biblical church growth results from every member of the body fully using his or her spiritual gift in submission to the Holy Spirit and in cooperation with other believers. So the question becomes, is our church experiencing growth? If it's not, then we have to ask ourselves, Am I using my spiritual gift to advance the kingdom of God? 
to advance the vision that God has given to the local church to advance God's word. If we're not using our gift, then we can't expect to reap the benefit. In order to reap, we must sow. If we fail to sow, then there's nothing to reap. In other words, we got to get to work. 2023, we must work and we must work together going in the same direction. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As we look upon this year as being a year in his service, we want this year to, to glorify God in everything and in every way. And we want everyone in this place to be a part of that. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And therefore, you can't say that I have a spiritual gift to use. That can be rectified just by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By receiving Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come to take residence within you. And he will not only gift you, but he will equip you to fulfill the Father's will. What does it take to be saved? It's to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he came to this world born a virgin. He lived a sinless life and he died on an old rugged cross for your sin. To believe that he arose on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave. Believing that if you call upon the name of the Lord, then today you shall be saved. He'll remove your sin as far from you as the east is from the west. And he'll choose not to remember it or bring it before you again. You must believe this. And you must confess Jesus as your Savior. You know, the hard part is to believe it. Now, I would go as far as to say every person in this church believes that Jesus is God's Son. And you believe that he died for the sin of the world. You believe that he that he arose on the third day. So salvation lies from your heart to your mouth. Would you today? Would you today receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior by confessing him as God? Confess your sin to him. You don't have to come and tell me anything about your past. You just need to acknowledge that you are lost. And that you need Jesus. And call out to him and he'll come right where you are. If you're ready to do that, would you pray with me right now? Join me in this prayer. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus. God, I'm a sinner. Without you, I have no hope in this world. But God, I believe you sent your only begotten son to come into this world to give his life a ransom for my sin. God, I believe he died on an old rugged cross. I believe they buried him in a borrowed tomb and I believe that on the third day he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave.
And God, I believe your word that if I call upon his name, that you will forgive me and that you will save me. Today, I confess Jesus as my Savior. Today, I give my life to you. Thank you, God, for saving me. Give me faith to walk in your steps. Give me faith, God, to live my life out in your service. Oh, God, thank you for what you've done. Now help me to tell the world about your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, we're going to sing a song of invitation, or they're going to sing a song of invitation. If you prayed this prayer, you believed within your heart that Jesus has saved you today, why not come and just tell me? Just come and tell me that you've been saved. Would you come today?